0: Let us pray. God of us all, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, for the last uh, almost 11 months now, we have been living um, inside of this pandemic. We've been living with masks, we've been living with social distancing, uh, with online school, with Zoom church, Uh, We haven't been able to meet our friends at restaurants. We haven't been able to make plans for vacations. Uh, Some of us have had to endure the holidays without a scene, without being with family and friends that we love. Uh, We've worried about our own health. We've prayed for friends who've been infected with the coronavirus and we've grieved with friends who've lost people that they have loved. And all of that impact from the pandemic is layered on top of the deep partisan political divide that's engulfed this country that resulted, as Diane said earlier, in that horrifying assault on the Capitol on January 6th. It's layered on top of story after story of violence against people of color uh, and a a resurgent move for racial justice met with in this country's history, the inevitable backlash. And and looming behind all of it is, is the existential crisis of global climate change. It's, it's a wonder that we're standing still, because all of us bear all of this weight, and some of us have bore it very personally. Some of us have lost hours. We've lost jobs. Some of us have had to grieve the death of someone we've loved at a distance. Uh, some of us have had to absorb that, the chaos of it all, and others of us have had to absorb uh, the loneliness and the tedium of the social isolation. And even those of us who are relatively unscathed have, have in my experience, all bear sort of a, a low-grade depression. I know uh, for me, it, it often feels like there's sort of a pall that's settled over life. Because you know, at our house, my wife Molly and I, I mean, we're doing okay, we have our jobs, we work from home, our daughters are fine. Uh, but but it's, it's, the days are getting longer, right? And this is the time of year when you start to think about the summer, you start to think about seeing family, you start to think about vacation, I'm a baseball fan. So I'm looking forward to spring training. And I find there's moments where there's an anticipatory burst of like joy. And then as I become conscious of it, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that weight just tamps it down. And uh, oh yeah, maybe it's not gonna be that way this year after all. So we bear this weight of it personally, but there's also sort of a collective experience of what we're going through together. And my sense is that as a country, as a people, We are tired, we are weary, we're frustrated. Some people are very angry. Uh, I find I'm just easily grumpy often. So in the midst of this pandemic, uh, we need healing. We need hope. In in the second story that Luke tells today from this reading in uh, Luke chapter seven, we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus and and his friends, his disciples, and a whole crowd of people are moving toward the town of Nain, which is a few miles southeast of Nazareth. And at the same time, a widow and and a crowd of mourners burying the body of her son are leaving the town. They're going out beyond the city gate to, to bury her son who has died. And so she suffered not only the loss of her husband, but now the loss of her only child. And layered on top of that grief, is the prospect of a very vulnerable future for a woman without a husband, a woman without a son, a woman in a very, what was then a very patriarchal society. When those two processions meet, the one literally bearing death and the other promising life, the one enduring suffering and the other embodying hope, when those two processions meet, we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion. That Jesus literally suffered with her. That's, that's the literal meaning of compassion. He felt her despair deeply. In fact, the, the, the Greek word there that's translated as compassion in its root means intestine. In other words, it's a gut-wrenching compassion that Jesus feels. And so he consoles the widow. He stops the procession. And we're told that he healed. He raised to new life this son and then gave him back to his mother and restored their family. Now, I'm not gonna pretend to understand how that could happen. Ever since though, the church has passed this story on, the church has told this story again and again and again. The church has read this story again and again and again because it speaks to us of the compassion of Jesus in the face of loss and grief and illness and death. It speaks of the will of Jesus to bring healing and to bring wholeness. And it speaks of the power of God to, um, as, as it's written in Romans four, to bring life to the dead, to what is died, to what is deathly in us. The power of God to bring life to the dead and to call into existence the things that do not yet exist. It's a story that speaks to us still, it speaks to us, we who long for healing. Alice Walker in one place says that um, healing begins where the wound was made. Healing begins where the wound was made. And so as we seek healing, as we pray for healing, as we work for healing in ourselves, in our relationships, in our communities, in the world, it's important for us to to understand, to recognize, to name where the wound was made. And these last 11 months have been so immersive, so overwhelming, so unprecedented, so chaotic that it's, it's hard sometimes to sort of grasp or to get hold of what we're going through. And so this morning in, in this sermon time, I've asked Nancy Good uh, to join us to talk about trauma, to talk about what we are enduring amidst this pandemic. So we're really grateful, Nancy, that you could join us this morning, that we can draw on your training and on your experience and on your wisdom. I think most of us know Nancy. Uh, if you don't, Nancy, Dr. Nancy Good is a trauma therapist. Uh, she's an international consultant with the Conterra group and with uh, the Portland Trauma Recovery Group. She works with individuals, she works with humanitarian organizations uh, that are facing trauma uh, here and around the world. For 20 years, she was professor of Trauma and Mediation Studies with Eastern Mennonite University's Center for Justice and Peacebuilding. And she's edited and contributed a chapter to a book that came out just last year in 2020 titled, healing and peacebuilding after war, transforming trauma in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And as important as all of that, she's the mother of Ashley, also part of our congregation, as well as her sons, Jay and Justin. And uh, maybe most importantly of all, she's the grandmother of Ruby and Ryder. So welcome, Nancy, really glad that you could join us. So you've been working in this field of trauma-informed care and healing for a long time. This pandemic is um, its unlike anything that that I've experienced or that most of us have experienced in our lifetimes. In your practice, what, what are you seeing? What are the impacts of, of this pandemic in terms of trauma uh, in, 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 in your work? What are you seeing?
1: Well, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to kind of come on board here this morning. Uh, at, at the same time, I must admit that Um, sort of hearing some of the complexity that we're laying out this morning for healing. Um, I feel like I want to be a listener in the audience, and I do feel like even though in many of these decades of working in this, um, I continue to be very, very much a a learner. Um, And before I get into answering that question, I just want to correct one important thing about me that you were mentioning is that my children are Ashley, Jay, and Julian, not Jay and Justin. I'm going to hear from my youngest child uh if i didn't correct that so sorry about that. and julian um so to your question yeah i'm hearing um a lot this past year It's crazy to believe to imagine that it's been a year of this experience with covid 19 and as we reflect back um, i I see that we're really learning a lot of about trauma and what trauma is and so forth and I hope that this morning we can lift some of that these kind of things out. but in the midst of, as it began as I started to work with people the surge of questions why confusion, fear uh, what's going on loss kept showing up time and time again real or perceived or this anticipated loss of like where where is this going um, am, am I going to lose my job um, what what's going to happen to our family is is this um, um, going to be, finished in three months or six months for sure and then we can get back to worshiping together but then summer came and went and so one of the things that's really being lifted out as time has gone on about this pandemic what we're learning is on the spectrum of trauma it's not a simple thing it's not a one-time event there's a spectrum of trauma that can go from a small t trauma which would be very troubling and traumatic to some folks, maybe on a smaller scale, and it's still important, but the other spectrum is what we're dealing with is a capital T trauma that again, is not only because it's so massive and it continues on a year later, um, and, but also because of the large scale nature. So small T to, to large T, it all is important. Um, many times we get into comp- competitive or comparative trauma or, or grief as well. Mine wasn't that much, so maybe I shouldn't attend to it. And that's uh, a falsehood. We might get it, get into some of the myths later. Um, but we begin to also understand the difference between individual and a single incident of trauma to here we are experiencing collective trauma. Again, another uh, name and definition of uh, that's even not local or Portland or U.S., but a global endemic. And another term is cumulative trauma, which is really, really important because it's an invisible growing of something that's not right. And then it's kind of like the warm water, you know, that kind of heats up. And then all of a sudden you realize you're getting scorched. Um, and and it's so important that in this work, one of the things we find is that if you name it, you can possibly begin to tame it, something that feels out of control. And I think that's my hope here as we have this conversation um, this morning that, you know, we, we begin to understand and put some different names. I mean, this trauma mm-hmm. stuff is really, really quite complex. And the last thing I'll say is is about this phrase that we talked about in the The Sunday School and from the beginnings of the trauma healing classes and work that I've done is this phrase of trauma that is not transformed gets transferred and I bring out this phrase versus just pull apart a moment because. It, it points to the urgency of us to really get into some more uh, intricate understanding of what trauma is and what are those components that we might be able to then work with and, and do something about when we're in such a helpless state. But trauma is this wound. It's a, you know, from the Greek word, you know, it's a, a, a wound of many sorts that we need to understand Not only where the wound um, begins, as Alice Walker talks about, but what what it is about, where it's lodged, where it has spread, and then what are some components. And so this trauma that's not transformed history demonstrates this all over the place, that hurt people hurt people who hurt people and the cycle keeps going on and on that if the wounds of trauma are not guided to some kind of safe healing path, we really need to give intentional focus to that. It's likely that unhealed traumas um, may contribute to cycles of violence and we have Mm -hmm. um, intergenerational trauma that's passed on uh, from generation to generation where the victims become the aggressors unhealed trauma is externalized to others, looking for somebody to blame or project, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Some of our anguish and anger and make somebody else feel maybe them, the the other group, Mm -hmm. what we felt um, or what, you know, the helplessness that we're experiencing or the other piece of reenactment of trauma is that trauma gets turned inwardly. And this is the one, the piece that I think more often happens. Of course, we, 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 learn, we hear a lot about the externalization, the aggressors, the perpetrators, that sort of thing. And what we, I think, really need to grapple with is this piece of internalized. Um, where we take it inside and it starts showing up as depression, cynicism, hopelessness, um, or internalized—you know—self-loathing. We somehow blame ourselves. We should have, could have, would have, should have known that it was coming and then be competent enough to know what to do about it when it gets here. Yet we're feeling so um, stuck and trapped. So those, those two pieces, just to lift out this uh, trauma that is not transformed, it has to go somewhere. And it, it, yeah. it, it sometimes goes out or it goes in or it gets transfer, uh, transformed yeah. a third way.
0: That's really helpful. That's really helpful. And that notion of uh, if, if we can name it, then perhaps we can begin to work toward toward taming it. I know in the book, you wrote a chapter, the chapter you contributed is, is on what trauma is, what it is not. And I think you address a few myths, uh, maybe some misunderstandings. So maybe you could talk us through that a little bit, uh, what trauma isn't so we have a better sense of what it is that kind of name it in order to start to work toward uh, being able to tame it.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, this is uh, challenging to ask somebody who's written a, a book and an <laughs> academic to. So I'm going to pare it down to four and just sort of. Uh, Lists out a couple of the myths um, that that were lifted out in in the, the chapter, and and I talk about myths in in a way that it's not to say okay that was totally wrong because it's like the myths came out of a way of this is what we know now, and and so now it's like folding it out a bit more to enter in some more. Truths and research that that we're finding these days. So a first myth is uh, that trauma is is not something to just get over. We often are looking for a quick fix. You know, we look. Well, somebody like the bomb or the death or this happened. The trauma happened. How many months ago? Like, aren't you over it yet? Or it's been a year. So. How come you're not, you know, uh, your usual self? And how come we can't get back to normal? Sometimes we put that this message on other people, but we, we also. Are impatient and and are, you know expect this of ourselves. Forgive and forget, right? Mm-hmm. Time heals all pain, which is it's widely held, but it's not very um, realistic. Trauma doesn't melt away with time. If it if it melts away with time, it probably wasn't even a small t trauma. It was a, a bit of a of a dent of a hurt. Um, But trauma needs for us to be engaged with it, to to face it, to, in a way, Mm -hmm. make friends with it, um, and then uh, figure out. It's a process and a journey. And like the stages of grief, um, healing, uh, and trauma, it's not linear. Uh, it's not very tidy. It, it's sometimes messy and confusion, confusing. And, and it's like, where is this thing going? And we need to um, have a fuller understanding of trauma and, and some of the steps of trauma healing to understand that this, this is getting sort of better over time. Um, for, for us, even, we can look back to where were we a year ago or six months ago? And where are we now? I mean, it's still ongoing, and yet sometimes we can put a, a framework of, oh, okay, there are some things that we're knowing now, or there's some um, strategies that I'm, you know, we're involved um, uh, implementing in our families or whatever that, that are helping us, and yet we still have these questions. So it's balancing what it is we don't know and, and what it is that, that we are knowing and progressing it kind of over time. So that's the first myth. Second myth is, and this is a big one, trauma is not um, a mental illness. Um, Around the world these days, everybody knows what what these letters stand for. PTSD, they just kind of roll off your tongue, Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, whatever language or culture um, we, we might be in. And so and the understanding, and thankfully in the 1980s, we finally had a name to talk about the craziness and the out of control, the flashbacks, the nightmares um, that were happening. And we came up with this PTSD and the the psychiatric and um, medical um, uh, uh, diagnostic DSM uh, two at the time, I believe it was. And that's great to get a a label. However, I think this label over time has come to be constrictive and, almost adding more um, pain to what's already there. And so over time, we've started looking at what it's like to take off the D. Take off the D, which is dysfunction, disease, it's a disability, it's a label of mental illness of some course, it's it's not. Most traumas doesn't even get to, to the diagnostic criteria of PTSD. So take off the D and then even the post, I don't quite understand what is post about most trauma, even if it's a small t trauma and it was a one-time incident. Post, post lives on if there's abuse in the family. It happened one, a couple of times and yet the, the emotional or the physical abuse, whatever stays, lives on, right? And it needs to be attended to. And so I take off the P and the D and what do we have? We have traumatic stress. And I think that helps us to kind of get um, around a a fuller understanding of of what um, uh, truth of what trauma is. When I was in Rwanda right after the genocide, there was a children's book that had this quote that trauma um, is normal. Is a normal natural response to an abnormal situation when something scary or bad happens to us. It's usually so overwhelming it um, debilitates us at that it would frighten most anyone. And I just love that it takes it from I'm abnormal. I'm crazy. I mean, yes. We we move into places of we're not our usual cells and we can't think, our brain's not working. Sometimes we are so depressed that we just are so heavy. It's hard to get up and move and um, think about where where are we going. So all of that is true. And yet that's because this is the normal natural reaction response to being overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by an abnormal uh, situation. So that's just a really, really powerful for, one for us to um, um, take a look at. The third myth that I'll lift out is trauma is not exclusively negative. I I just, as I was getting ready for this, I was just carrying a lot of angst even in thinking about all of the bad things that, you know, we know about, we hear about, uh, that trauma calls up. And yes, it does highlight where things have gone wrong, where people have died, where even not just the natural disasters, but human made disasters of violence and, and, um, and, and hatred, which are like the worst in in some respects, Mm -hmm. although again, not to go into so much comparative because it's hard. Um, But that trauma is negative and destructive. But in the last uh, two decades I've been working especially in the field of trauma healing has gotten lodged somewhat I think in a wonderful way um, balancing PTSD post-traumatic you know PTSD the uh, destruction of it balancing it with PTG post-traumatic growth. And in positive psychology in the mid 90s um, and psychologists and sociologists and others have been researching how it is that some people go in and through the worst of traumas and even in the midst of it, they are finding some reason to go on, certainly survive, that's a good thing, but are finding ways of thriving and that was so fascinating for me that when it came time for me to sort of look at some doctoral studies, that was the one that I locked into. I mean, it was sort of what I was looking at anyway, uh, but I was just really committed and, and gathering stories about how people are not only able to survive, but to thrive uh, with post-traumatic growth. And the last myth I'll just name because it maybe takes us into the others and, and please push me out, although I know time, uh, is is limited here, um, Rod. But um, the last myth is trauma is not just a touchy-feely, soft psychology science. Um, it does touch us emotionally and psychologically. And psychologists and social workers and 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 uh, psy- psychiatrists, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, work with traumatized people. That's all true. Um, however, that's just a part of it. Trauma, uh, traumatic stress affects. The whole of us—it it affects us on so many scales—and and maybe we'll talk about this in a minute. So those are my four brief um, myths that I hope you yeah. can begin to hear some of the truth. That's yeah. Um, yeah.
0: that's really helpful, and that, that that last one really leads into the next question I had. You said that trauma affects uh, the whole of us. you've you've identified four places where we can experience trauma beyond just the initial precipitating event. I think you call it the four Bs. Maybe you could uh, talk about that for just a little bit as a way to help us identify how we're experiencing uh, trauma.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I I, I sort of came up with this model in in 2008 or so when I was called to work with um, um, humanitarian workers in Sri Lanka and Indonesia after the tsunami and, and in Thailand, working with people from that context who were then set up as the helpers um, in aid um, organizations. And, and so I didn't have a semester of working with folks, but but needed to put it as succinctly as possible. And so I came up with these four Bs. Um, and uh, some, some of it may not be um, news to, to folks, the, especially the first two. Um, so that they are the body, the brain, um, beliefs, and behavior. So there's first two on top, body and brain, we've heard for ages about stress mm-hmm. management and, and uh, trauma healing, perhaps mind-body connection. Um, it is more than emotional and and, and, um, and psychological, it affects our bodies as well. You I mean, obviously the brain is part of the body and so that, that might make sense. But many times we separate out the feeling part from really um, the body part. And um, the body being physical, the somatic, uh, how, mm-hmm. how stress sits and wears on us over time when, again, it not only sits there and fight, flight or freeze, and gets all frozen in there, and then it gets layered on over time. How that hits our heart, our heads, our you know, our uh, our backs, whatever. And it's really important for us to look at. Um, Uh, We're finding out more and more that some of the big books in trauma field these days highlight this, The Body Keeps Score, um, or um, The Body Remembers. These are uh, somatic experiences. that—that That is a first and foremost place, the, the body, where trauma sits, and it waits for us until we can tend it. Uh, rather than oh, would you just be quiet and get over it, or we numb it, or we drug it out, or we work it, workaholic it out, or or whatever. Um, but but the body is something to attend to and to listen to. Um, how does what? What are your early warning signs of where it shows up um, in your body? I was telling you the other day. For me, it's my my neck, uh, my stomach. Also, over time, will really um, start talking back to me. And uh, again, what do we do with that? What What is what is your early warning sign, Rod?
0: What is my early warning? sign? in the
1: body, yeah,
0: my body. It's usually headaches. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah that's a, that's a stressor. That's an early sign for me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so to listen to whether it's in the body or the brain for you, it's your head, maybe it's a, it, it, whether it's a headache or it's a, um, a brain that doesn't quiet down at night when we're wanting to, to rest, exactly. um, you know, that, that kind of thing, or, um, sometimes we get so locked into panicking thoughts mm-hmm. and we get hyper vigilant right. and we right. start making up a thing in the future this anticipatory right. grief and trauma right. kind of rolls and 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 you know um, and and then the emotional piece also of, of trauma is lodged in our brains I think mm-hmm. a lot of folks kind of know that it's like Emotions, where where is the the emotional and the memory, um, the story that we spent about it is all in the the inner parts of our brain. And that is what clicks in solidly um, uh, apart from the cerebral cortex, our logical thinking brain sort of goes offline. Anytime we get locked into a traumatic story, Consciously or subconsciously and we spin and our body, our brains are kind of revving and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's the body and the brain.
0: Yeah. So talk about those other two, because that's uh, we don't often think about those as, as places where we experience trauma.
1: Right. Yeah. These these two are many times not named. and. Part of it, and I, I find that these two, they're all important and they're all interconnected, but these two are almost more important because they're harder to, to put your finger on it. But when mm-hmm. you begin to be aware of it, you're, you're starting to see the invisible become visible. And you can kind of see with the beliefs. Here I'm talking about our soul, our spirit. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, where where is that? Well, it's somewhere around our heart. Is that our core? Where mm-hmm. Where is that? And what I found is that we can tell more clearly where it's at or what what it's about um, when the beliefs are traumatized or bruised. And so what, what it looks like, for example, is a person who has gone off to really, in a wonderful way, save the world, joining a humanitarian, you know, Mennonite central committee. I mean, um, you know, the International Refugee Committee, whatever it might be and and after t- a time some of what they signed up for is is diminished um it's they're hitting i mean of course they're hitting the, some of the worst of the chaos and troubles in in the world that are out there and the injustices it's uh right. heart-wrenching right and so what happens when we don't tend and and name that um, the the beliefs that are traumatized is that it starts showing up as cynicism apathy and here you have a person who who has a beautiful aim and values and a mindset and yet um and hr folks know this is called it shows up as presenteeism you know they show up at work they clock in they're there and yet their heart is not in it okay. and and it's really quite toxic to that person um, as well as the heaviness that that is spewed yeah. out into team members as well so that's the beliefs okay. okay and then the the last one is um behavior and here i'm talking about the social um mm-hmm. interaction of how trauma traumatic stress kind of spills out in our social mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. you mentioned i you you get irritable sometimes, Rod. But anyway, for, for any of us, yes, we we we're, we're shorter, maybe we're not as patient. Um, we we are really frustrated because we want somebody to understand us and whether it's our team person or family member who's just always arguing with us and doesn't ever hear us out anyway there's a lot of entanglement with with the behavior and the social interaction Um, and a key one also is is when we isolate ourselves right and we pull back because we're trying to figure out what the world is happening. How come I can't think clearly anymore? And why am I so irritable? Right? And so we pull back, and sometimes that's understandable. But then to stay in that isolated, mm-hmm. then then we're um, we're really feeding um, and adding in a multiple multiplied way, right? Yeah. Um, to to the devastation that's already yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. It's really
0: helpful because we we experience a stressful event or whatever it might be, and, and and we kind of lock on that specific. And it's sometimes not obvious the way that it's, it' sort of ripples out through through us, our bodies, our, our our brains, as you said, our relationships. But when we talked earlier, you said that those four B's are also the places that we can start to move through, that we can start to move toward. Uh, post-traumatic growth or or build toward uh, resilience is a word that I think you often use. So maybe you could say a bit about that too.
1: Right, so just uh, briefly here and and, um, a couple of key points maybe as a takeaway is for each of us to um, understand, yeah, the, the, the bad news maybe is that we have four or more areas where trauma hits us at all sides and in society and at large. And yet the good news is that we have at least those four doors to enter in. Some of us might go after more healthy practices, resilient practices with the body. Some of us mm-hmm. might be more inclined to, to feed our, our brains in a more healthy way and make sure that we get our sleep or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Mm-hmm. So, so we have at least those four um, uh, bees to also look at building resilience and post-traumatic growth, even as we're experiencing the trauma. And so I often, the, the two overall arching points here are, are thinking about a scale, sometimes some people might remember a scales that we would have in (laughs) in a farmer's market. And so when we're having heavy, heavy trauma, the pandemic and it goes on and cumulative trauma, is weighing us down, then if we're not tending to balance what needs to happen on the other side, (laughs) to to reset, to reboot, (laughs) to get our breath again, to restore that bruised belief of when is this ever gonna you know or anguish mm-hmm. god and even in in why have you deserted us and looking mm-hmm. in the psalms as as Diane was reading this morning. So 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 to look at how do we balance our scales and the, the other piece with that is to look at the core word of resilience is really a verb and that is to resile is an action verb. It's not like we sort of inherit this or some of us have it, some of us, Mm. it's not a (laughs) passive way of being. But to, to look at resilience, we really have a choice in the aftermath of as trauma is flowing out. Amala um, Puljakshank, um, a refugee and a dear colleague of mine from Bosnia, in her 20s, she was, was um, and her family had to ban, um, you know, flee for safety uh, in the war. But when she was seeing some of the trauma inner circle and the trauma healing map of making other choices, she was just, she didn't know quite how it was going to happen, but um, she was just really clear of that. Choice that is hers that she can resile um, and make decisions today and mm-hmm. and find find some kind of a path as she sort of saw the larger map map yeah. of what would yeah. happen if she kept being inner you know inner uh, tied into mm-hmm. that inner circle as opposed mm-hmm. to finding what does it mean you know to to trans transform so for mm-hmm. each of the four Bs I just suggest a couple the body. Um, a resilient practice um, is, is to, first of all, know your warning signals in your body, kind of make the X yeah. on, on your uh, figure of the body and watch that and make it your friend. Don't ignore mm-hmm. it, don't put a Band-Aid on it. Really listen in to say, whoa, what's that come about? How long has that been there, mm-hmm. et cetera. And practice a relaxation breath. Yeah. That yeah. really helps us to meditate. So that's the, one, the body. The brain, I'd say take your brain for a walk. We take our <laughs> dog for a walk. Uh, like why not imagine caring for our brain, walking around the table, take the brain outside to get some good fresh oxygen. And from time to time, actually the researchers say every 90 minutes, change the channel. Okay. And then beliefs, I'd say reflect and pray for this renewed spirit. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Um, but to ask yourself, what was it? What, 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 what did I initially have that motivated me? What is it? What are my values that I really am cherishing mm-hmm. now? Maybe go mm-hmm. back. And then, but to say, so what, how do I keep them fresh? Again, reboot. Recharge, reset, resile. Ruby has a, a thing in our family. Um, sometimes when you gather around, she'll ask people to do a check-in or what's your high-low of the day? And so we have mm-hmm. this natural conversation of talking about the things that have gone well, but low mm-hmm. moments, moments as well. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, to find different ways to have, um, many Many times the belief practices have to do with the arts, music, dance, mm-hmm prayer meditation. And then b- behavior, I'd say connect. Um, I know we can't, my dad brought me up to shake hands. We love to hug each other and we're needing to learn a resilient practice of how do we hug? How do we, some of us have had to look at how do we deal with death in, in sometimes being there or not being able to be in the hospital or the hospice or how do we do a memorial service? over Zoom and see that there's a lot of meaning in that. So how do we touch, how do we reach out and, mm-hmm. and really watch that isolation? Because it is um, devastating. Writing about it, painting, talking to trusted persons as, uh, as Joan was encouraging us to do. So yeah. my, I guess my, my final question would be for us each to think about how do we resile? In the last six months what has worked what hasn't worked and how do we reset that and really make sure that our scale keeps being somewhat balanced so that we're not right. you know right. this is going to break us after a while if we keep yeah. being
0: excited yeah wow nancy that's really helpful um uh, take your brain for a walk i'm, I'm going to sit with that one for sure uh but just a, a, you know, thank you for helping us to, to sort of recognize, to understand, to, to name it, and to normalize sort of what we're going through rather than try to just bury it and imagine we ought to be getting through it and tough it out a little bit more. So this is this is really super helpful. I'm, 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 I'm very, very grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I'm grateful for that deeper understanding of trauma and uh, a way to name what we're going through. In the scripture that we read earlier, the story from Luke chapter 7, there are these two processions, right? On the one, Jesus burying in his body, burying in his soul the love, the mercy, the healing power of God. And and then the woman, the widow, one who's now been bereaved again. And in the moment when those two meet, Jesus was moved by compassion to, to heal the son and to restore him to his mother. And in that moment, the words of the psalmist that we heard earlier in Psalm 30 came true, right? Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It's not hard for us to to picture that scene in our mind, right? To picture those two processions with our mind's eye. But what I'd like you to do now is is to picture yourself in that scene. Um, What pain, what grief, what loss, what illness are you bearing? What trauma are you experiencing in your life? Uh, What weight are you carrying with you uh, for yourself, for someone you love, for our common life, for the earth itself? In a moment, we are going to pray for healing because we trust that the spirit of Christ moves toward us still. We trust that uh, Christ is moved by compassion still. We trust that Jesus can move in and among and through us to bring healing and to bring wholeness. So as we sing, healer of our every ill now, I invite you to open your brain, your body, your behaviors, your beliefs in faith and hope, trusting in the power of God to bring healing and to bring wholeness. Amen.